Welcome to a special hour of Unfiltered Road to Impeachment. Here's tonight's headline. Call me, maybe. It is week two of the Democrats' impeachment inquiry, and it was yet again an eventful one. The very latest, I mean, like if you went to bed early last night, you might have missed it. A second official who was alarmed by President Trump's dealings with Ukraine is deciding whether to file his own whistleblower complaint and testify before Congress. Also breaking, House Democrats subpoena the White House for more documents and communications tied to Trump's call with Ukraine, President Zelensky and withholding aid to Ukraine. And of course, there are the texts, texts that House Intel Republican Will Hurd calls damning. They were just released, showing just how concerned some diplomats were with the president's position in Ukraine. Said one diplomat to the other, are we now saying that security assistance and White House meeting are conditioned on investigations? To which the other responds, call me. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been on the receiving end of one of those before when I'm texting with a source and they respond, call me. It means whatever they're about to say is not something they want imprint. Of course, when I text call me to my husband, it usually means he's in trouble. But enough about me. This isn't about me. This is about the president. You might not know it to listen to him, though, because he's on a war path to blame and attack everybody else. The fake news media, Mitt Romney, whom he called a pompous ass on Twitter this morning, shifty Adam Schiff. But get used to it, folks. This is in Trump's DNA. Trump's got a very clear pattern when he's under fire. Deny, normalize, and attack. DNA. Check it out. First, he denied pressuring Ukraine to investigate the Bidens, just like he denied Russia's election interference, just like he denied paying Stormy Daniels hush money, just like he denied saying he'd make Mexico pay for the wall, denied saying things he definitely said on camera. He said he didn't pressure Ukraine to investigate the Bidens, but that he could. But then the Ukraine call transcript came out showing he did just that. So Trump moved to the normalized phase. He said the call was perfect. He urged Ukraine again to investigate the Bidens, doing the very thing he's being accused of and could possibly be impeached over. He went even further, telling China, a communist dictatorship, to hop on board the corruption train and then saying it in broad daylight. I have an absolute right, perhaps even a duty, to investigate or have investigated corruption. And that would include asking or suggesting other countries to help us out. Now, here's a little thing to listen for as well. Trump is fond of saying he has the absolute right to do whatever he wants, as if saying it makes it so. In January, after Congress refused to fund his border wall, I have the absolute right to do a national emergency if I want. Last June, I have the absolute right to pardon myself. December 2017, I have the absolute right to do what I want to do with the Justice Department. May of 2017, after he shared classified information with Russian officials, I have the absolute right to share intelligence with Russia. The more he says it, the more he hopes you end up thinking, yeah, why not? Well, now he is on to the attack stage. Quick glance at his crazy Twitter feed today. Retweeting a Pinocchio clip calling Adam Schiff lion shifty Schiff. Impeachment Romney. The media is fixed and corrupt. Um, That's just a sampling, folks. Here's the deal. 
Trump does this DNA dance because it often has the desired effect, wearing us down with deflections and distractions, gaslighting the media and the American public, telling you to your face, the sky is green. Well, this one's actually really, really simple. He told at least one foreign government to investigate his political rival. He made a meeting at the White House contingent upon that investigation and then withheld aid to the nation in order to increase the pressure. And then his administration tried to cover it up. That's what happened. It's in black and white. It's in a transcript. It's in text messages. And it's out of the president's own mouth. Now, you can decide whether all of this is impeachable or not, but it's what happened. And the people surrounding Trump need to ask themselves a pretty serious question. How much longer do they keep saying this was okay? Okay, joining me now to discuss is Democratic Congressman Brendan Boyle. Um, Congressman, let's start with the latest news. The New York Times reports a second intelligence official is considering filing a whistleblower complaint. Now, I think that's remarkable, considering how hostile an environment Trump and his defenders on on Fox have created for, for whistleblowers. What would you say, as a member of Congress, who will ultimately receive any new whistleblower reports, to anyone considering coming forward to assure that they feel safe and secure doing so? Oh, well, thanks, S.E., for having me back on. First, I very much admire the courage of the initial whistleblower who came yeah. forward, uh, as well as the, the courage of this person who it sounds like, this additional person who it sounds like is also weighing to come forward. Uh, I would point out that even though a lot of focus has gone on the original whistleblower, keep in mind that the inspector general of the, um, of the intelligence community actually went to the sources that the original whistleblower got this information from and deemed it to be highly credible. We also, frankly, have the White House summary of what was said on the call. Um, Where I uh, reacted very strongly on this was not actually based on the whistleblower complaint, which if I recall the the chronology of the amazing events of the last two weeks, (laughs) the the whistleblower complaint didn't come out until about 24 or 48 hours after the White House summary, what's in that call is clear quid pro quo. Mm -hmm. Literally the very next sentence after President Zelensky, who by the way is right now uh, witnessing and experiencing part of his country under Russian occupation. Mm -hmm. Let's not forget that. Mm -hmm. President Zelensky very much needs the hundreds of millions of dollars of aid that I and others on both sides of the aisle push for. The very next sentence the president says, I need you to do me a favor though. That right there is quid pro quo. So the White House is expected to send a letter to Speaker Pelosi on Monday, pressing her to hold a floor vote on the impeachment inquiry because presumably Trump thinks Democrats don't have the votes right now. Is he right? Uh, be careful what you wish for. Uh, first, I mean, there isn't at this point, the, the impeachment inquiry has clearly started. So it would be uh, a rather redundant action if we took that vote. But I do think if and when we ultimately take a vote, you'll actually see far more Republican members on the fence and caught in a tough position than you will see Democratic members. Ever since this whole Ukrainian matter emerged uh, two to three weeks ago, you have had remarkable unanimity when it comes to the Democratic caucus. Within the span of a few days, you saw the numbers go from about 120 Democratic members 
calling for an impeachment inquiry to upwards of between 220 to 230. Um, so uh, President Trump should be careful what he wishes for on this. Well, and I want to I want to ask you about Republicans because I know you have a lot, you have Republican friends in Congress, and I want to yeah. I want to get your take on that. But first, let me just go back real quick. Trump says the White House will cooperate after there's a formal vote. Do you think Democrats should give him what he wants and then hold him to it? <laughs> I'm not naive. Uh, there is no way President Trump is going to cooperate with us in this investigation because he knows he's guilty. Um, you know, he's been doubling down on this behavior ever since. Even if we gave him exactly what uh, he wanted, he would move mm. the goalposts. And, and I think yeah, most people uh, understand that. So when you uh, when you talk to some of your colleagues, do you hear from any Republicans privately, and you don't have to name them, though, feel free, um, yeah. who, who say that they are legitimately concerned and contemplating supporting at least an impeachment inquiry? Yeah, well, as I think you know, I actually have a lot of friendships on the other side of the aisle and, and have been yeah. able to, to produce real meaningful legislation with Republican colleagues of mine, especially as it relates to foreign policy. Um, over the last three years, without revealing any names, mm -hmm. a, a significant number of Republican friends of mine have said things about the president, expressed their deep concerns, things that they don't want to say publicly because they know it would put them in a really tough spot, especially uh, if facing a Republican primary. I don't know when push comes to shove how many Republican members will vote for impeachment. I do know that behind the scenes there are a number of Republican members who are deeply concerned and alarmed about what has uh, become public. How, give me an estimate of numbers. How many numbers do you think? Uh, yeah, that's a bit. It's both what I've heard and a bit of an educated guess. But in Go the ahead. House, um, I, I would say at least two dozen. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if it's even more than that. Just based on my own personal knowledge, I would say yeah. about two dozen. Um, fascinating. And thank you so much for that, that insight. I really appreciate it. Um, you'll have to come back and, and see if that, that number gets updated at all. Congressman, thank you. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Coming up, Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and his department are playing a starring role in the impeachment inquiry. Text messages, subpoena deadlines, I'll have the latest. And a bit later, conventional wisdom versus President Trump. It's a matchup he's won time and again. Will it apply to impeachment? What about 2020? The damning text between U.S. diplomats and a senior Ukrainian aide that detail how the Trump administration put pressure on Ukraine has the State Department in a precarious position. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo is thus far defying a congressional subpoena by not turning over relevant documents by the Friday deadline. He's also been blocking the testimony of key State Department officials. But we will hear from at least two key witnesses next week, U.S. Ambassador to the EU Gordon Sondland of the aforementioned damning texts and ousted Ambassador to Ukraine Marie Yovanovitch, whom, according to The Wall Street Journal, Trump ordered removed following complaints by his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, and others. Okay, with me now is the former State Department spokesman and a CNN military and diplomatic analyst, Rear Admiral John Kirby, along with the former assistant U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York and a CNN legal analyst, Ellie Honing. Okay, uh, Admiral Kirby, I start with you. Let's go through some of the players 
here because I think people can be confused. A lot of these names people didn't know before this week. Um, U.S. Ambassador to the European Union Gordon Sondland was texting with Kurt Volker, former special envoy for Ukraine, and Bill Taylor, an American diplomat. My question, why was the ambassador to the EU involved in any of these issues? That's a great question, Essie, and I don't think we have a, we've heard a good answer from the administration on this. I mean, the ambassador to the EU, uh, that is a fairly nebulous uh, position. I'm not saying it's not legitimate. It's just that being an ambassador to the EU, you could, you could expand your boundaries in that job quite a bit and, and use right. that to get involved with all kinds of bilateral relations to the degree that the president wants you to. And that's really the key, Essie. This is what the president wanted him to focus on at this time, and clearly yeah. he was deeply involved. And he, fi- he finds these folks, whether they're in the right jobs or not, he finds the, the people that are right. going to do what he wants. Um, and, Ellie, and, and former... Go, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, just important to remember that Sondland's a political appointee. Unlike mm-hmm. Bill Taylor, uh, he was a political appointee that the president brought on specifically for this yes. job, and he was a, ma- a main donor to the campaign. That's a very, very important point and distinction. Um, Ellie, former special envoy to Ukraine, Kurt Volker, testified behind closed doors Thursday and made... A number of alarming revelations. What stood out to you as problematic for Trump? Yeah, so there's a lot of problems in Volcker's reported testimony and the text. Okay. Number one, there's a lot of talk about a quid pro quo. Let's just, quick side note, you do not need a crime in order to impeach. But if you have a crime, you have a very strong case. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of question, is there an exchange here? These texts are a goldmine for a mm-hmm. prosecutor. I mean, they lay it out about as clearly as you'll ever see an exchange laid out in real life. This idea heard from White House, assuming the president initiates an investigation, then we'll give him right. a visit. It's, it's laid out this for yeah. that. And then yeah. there's the cover up aspect mm-hmm. of it. And you just showed the call me text. And I've yeah. had similar experiences as a prosecutor, mm-hmm. as you have with sources. Right. When someone says call me, they mean, hey, yes, take this but, but we don't say this in print. Yeah. And so you see the, how centrally involved the State Department is, mm-hmm. uh, both in the exchange and the cover up. Well, I want to talk about the State Department. Amber Kirby, what is happening there right now? Are people you know, lawyering up? Are they polishing resumes? Or do you think they're trying to just go about their business? Take me inside right now. The colleagues that I've been speaking to and staying in touch with, the professional foreign service officers, they're trying to just continue to do their job. Some are here in D.C., some are overseas. They've got important work to do. They're trying to just focus on that and not let the political headwinds uh, get in their way. That said, uh, the, the, the my former colleagues, I mean, they're they're demoralized by this. This is not the way they feel they should be representing the United States to the world. There, Many of them are proud of Ambassador Taylor for pushing back on this the cutting of the aid yeah. uh, in resp- uh, you know, in return for uh, the investigative uh, comments that they wanted Zelensky to make. Uh, but they're, uh, they're certainly not happy about uh, the leadership of Pompeo with respect to this and the degree to which uh, the bilateral relationship with Ukraine, which is indefinitely in our national security interest, was politicized. Um, Ellie, Mike Pompeo, as you know, did not turn over the documents that were subpoenaed. What's going to happen next with that, like from a legal standpoint? So I think we could have a legal battle. First of all, it, it struck me as really sort of hypocritical, ironic that you have Donald Trump talking about how Uh, whistleblowers and people who provide information should be treated like spies in the old days. And then Mike Pompeo gets a lawful congressional subpoena and says it's bullying tactics. I mean, I think you can see the contrast there. But it looks to me like Pompeo's going to defy this subpoena. And then we're going to have, we could potentially have a legal battle, but I don't think that's the road Congress can go down because that's going to take forever. There's a real time clock Uh ticking here. Which Mike Pompeo also knows. Oh, he's trying to drag it out. No question about it. But Adam Schiff has shown that he's ready to play hardball. He said, if you don't respond, we're going to draw an adverse 
adverse inference, meaning we're going to assume what you would have said supports the allegations. And he also dropped a, a note in his cover letter in the subpoena mm -hmm. that, by the way, we also can return an article of impeachment for obstruction of Congress against your boss. Okay. Um, Admiral Kirby, um, one last question from you. What the heck was in that envelope that the State Department Inspector General <laughs> dropped off to Congress? Yeah, I, I don't, I know, I, I don't know. It seemed to be a collection of papers that Giuliani collected, uh, you know, conspiracy theory stories and just kind of odd, sort of odds and ends uh, that had been dumped off on the State Department IG uh, by the legal counsel who got it, I guess, from Giuliani and from Pompeo. Uh, what's, what, so it, it's just this weird collection of material that, that sort of would support Giuliani's conspiracy chase. That said, what's really curious is why did it sit so long? Why why was it at the State Department yeah. IG for so long and not brought over sooner? Uh, and can I just go back to something Ellie was saying, because I think he's of exactly course. right. But just I think we should continue to play and play again the video of uh, of Pompeo when he was Congressman Pompeo and yeah. just in leading the investigation in, into Benghazi over months and months and months mm -hmm. and screaming and yelling about not getting, you know, documents and uh, and information and, and witnesses that he wanted from the State Department. And now it's now it's his turn to be on the other side of that. And I think it's yeah. healthy to remind him uh, of what it's like to be on the other side of that day. There's there's no points anymore for intellectual consistency. There's just <laughs> there's no points. Uh, but Admiral John Kirby, I appreciate you're making that point. Ellie Honing, thanks. thanks so much for joining me, both of you. Appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. I mean, it all seems bad, but this president has some tactical advantages that could see him overcome impeachment and sail into a second term. That's coming up. And later, among his biggest cheerleaders, the right-wing media, specifically Fox News. If things start to crack there, do we get to wake up from this? I'll discuss next. Some breaking news into CNN. Senator Bernie Sanders has returned home to Burlington, Vermont, after suffering a heart attack and having two stents inserted. He said he was feeling great. And we'll spend the next several days resting and recovering, but we will see him on the debate stage on October 15th. While Senator Sanders recovers, the House is dealing with impeachment and other 2020 Democrats are out on the trail trying to stick to their campaign platforms. For one candidate, though, that's been tough. Right or wrong, Joe Biden is at the center of Trump's attempts to corrupt our, elect our elections, and he's not been able to avoid the subject. This was at a campaign stop yesterday. He's indicted himself by his own statements. This is the guy that's unhinged. He is unhinged. I worry about what he's going to do, not about me or my family. I worry about what he'll do in the next year in the presidency as this thing continues to rot on his watch. This guy, like all bullies, is a coward. He does not want to run against me. I mean, as confident as Biden sounds, Trump will have some serious advantages as this process unfolds. One is history. Impeachment has never resulted in a president's removal from office. Nixon resigned before his impeachment even got a vote. And in Bill Clinton's case, his impeachment only helped his approval numbers, reaching his highest point ever at 73 percent. Impeachment is a risky gamble anytime and one that ultimately might injure Democrats more than Trump. OK, another advantage, money. According to data from Facebook's public ad archive, Trump and his allies are outspending rivals on impeachment-related advertising on that platform by as much as four to one. And days after the impeachment inquiry was announced, Trump campaign manager Brad Parscale boasted 50,000 new donors in two days and growing. 
There's also his platform. Two things Bill Clinton and Richard Nixon didn't have when they were going through this. People forget Fox News and Twitter. Trump has proven he is adept at using both to spin his narratives, smear his rivals, and rally his base behind him. So what does impeachment in the midst of a presidential election mean for Democrats? With me now is CNN political commentator Van Jones, host of The Van Jones Show and a former special advisor to President Obama. How worried are you Mm -hmm. from a strategy standpoint um, about impeachment maybe being good for Trump? Listen, this is this is a big curveball, and we just don't know. The era of Trump is defined by its unpredictability. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the things in the past would have been a complete uh, game over for a politician have actually helped Trump. Uh, and so uh, you, yeah. could, you could make the case that impeachment could, could do that. I think what Democrats are now saying is that even if it hurts them in 2020, they feel they have to do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they feel that the Constitution is more important than, than um, even possibly losing an election. What I think is uh, Biden is in particular peril. Uh, it is very clear that Trump is terrified of Biden. Mm. Uh, he is going through all these machinations because he knows in every poll, poll after poll, every single poll ever taken, yeah. Biden beats Trump. Yeah. Period. And so he's decided he wants to pull uh, uh, Biden down by whatever means he has to. What it, unfortunately. Uh, Every time Biden stands up and says, as he's going to have to say, I'm not corrupt, yeah. what people hear is, I'm corrupt. I know. <laughs> Every time he says, my son is a not a crook, sword. what they hear is, my son is a crook. And so in some ways, Trump once again crazy like a fox um, by him uh, going after Biden, his most uh, powerful uh, rival yeah. uh, in this way, he could be rewarded for the process. And even the impeachment gives him the chance to continue to go after Biden. Well, I want to talk more about Biden because there are some more uncomfortable, awkward angles for him in here. Um, There's no evidence of any wrongdoing for either Biden in Ukraine. But does Trump telling China that he'd look the other way on protests in Hong Kong bring up the fact that Joe Biden once defended China's one-child policy, Mm. for example, um, or his boss, Obama, telling Dmitry Medvedev he'd have more flexibility to deal with certain issues after his re-election. I'm not drawing comparisons. I'm just wondering if this Ukraine story will potentially put Biden in a tough spot with some of well, this stuff. Well, uh, it, it tees up those attack lines, especially in the right-wing media. Yeah. Um, I literally just did an interview uh, for my uh, uh, show upcoming where those attack lines were literally already coming out uh. as I was talking to people who are conservatives and, and de- defenders of President Trump. I think that the big challenge for Democrats overall is that we are in uncharted territory on an uncharted planet in an uncharted yeah. universe. Yeah, right. And so it's very, very hard to plan. It's very hard to come up with strategy. Yeah. Um, the, the thing I do believe is that for the political class, um, you know, this is a new situation. Uh, the fact that Trump is uh, on the uh, lawn of the White House pulling foreign powers into our election. Yeah. For us, that is a new situation. I don't know yet. We'll have to see it for the poll and the polling data. For ordinary people, we've been on 11 for three yeah, years. Right, right. They may not be able to draw a distinction between you know mm-hmm. this crazy tweet and this thing that was was uh, was rude, and this was a very new situation: a U.S. president trying to drag in foreign powers. And so we, it's going to take a minute, yeah, for this coat of paint to kind of settle, mm. and then we'll see 
How are the voters actually responding? Are there any right-wing media figures that begin to move? These yeah, are the kinds of questions that, 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 that are going to make a big difference, I we're think. We're going to talk about Fox. But, but before I go, i gotta, I got to get you on, on, on one other thing, another issue I'm grappling with as we are covering Trump um, through another election, is whether the media is applying as much scrutiny and skepticism to the Democratic candidates, mm. as it rightly is, um, to Trump. Joe Biden's been telling what the Washington Post called a, quote, moving but false war story on the campaign trail. <laughs> Elizabeth Warren's false claims of Native American heritage are now something of it like an untouchable story. You're not even supposed to ask about it. Bernie Sanders accepted donations from pharma executives just before pledging not to take money from pharma executives. Um, now, you can say none of this is as bad as mm -hmm. what Trump has done. Mm -hmm. Fair. But do you think we should still take those issues pretty seriously, considering one of these people might be the next president? Look, I, the answer is yes. And I actually think that we do. It's really mm -hmm. interesting because um, I don't think, for at least for CNN viewers, uh, none of those stories are, are new. Oh, my God, I never heard that before. Right. It's been, sure. like, so we have been addressing it. I think the big problem is that uh, you, you know, Trump takes up all the oxygen, for better or for worse. Mm. When it helps him, when it doesn't, he yeah. just takes up all the oxygen. Um, I think that you're going to have now a tough time for Democrats to get out their positive points. Those are negative points. It's going to be hard for Democrats to get out their positive points yeah. in the light of this big impeachment yeah. mushroom cloud. Mm -hmm. uh, good points, and thanks so much for your insight, my friend. Always good to see you. Stick around for Van immediately following my show. He takes on the impeachment investigation and its impact on the country. Hearing from all sides of the debate, don't miss the Van Jones Show coming up at 7 Eastern on CNN. Up next for me, the president's best friend in this fight, Fox News. But is it a relationship that may be showing signs of strain? In the red file tonight, it's a tale of two foxes. Under the late Roger Ailes' direction, Fox News jumped on the Trump train early and the rest is history. As I'm sure you know, their top talent in prime time is all in for the president defending him against the impeachment inquiry. Democrats are doing the equivalent day after day of yelling fire in a crowded theater. And that theater is America. This important news and information will prove that the media mob has been and continues to be covering for Joe Biden and his son. This is a rush to judgment by left-wing Democrats who are engaged in literally a coup d'etat. Their goal is to drive the president of the United States out of office because they hate him. Now, I don't think partisan hatred uh, comes under high crimes and misdemeanors. I remember that guy. Uh, but there's another Fox, voices that are not, that are expressing not only skepticism, but indignation. People like Chris Wallace, Shep Smith, Andrew Napolitano. And just this week, an op-ed from Fox host Tucker Carlson in The Daily Caller made this stunning admission. It says Donald Trump should not have been on the phone with a foreign head of state encouraging another country to investigate his political opponent, Joe Biden. Some Republicans are trying, but there's no good way to spin this. As a good idea. Trump, for his part, hasn't been shy in calling Fox out when it strays from his preferred messages. A month ago, he tweeted, Fox isn't working for us anymore, threatened to start looking for a new news outlet. So are there cracks in Trump's Fox firewall? Here to discuss Republican strategist Doug High and former senior advisor to Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign, Zach Pitcanis. Uh, Doug, 
Tucker's op-ed, mm -hmm. you know Tucker, I know Tucker, yeah. was startling because it criticized the president. Now, he went on to say that he didn't think any of this was impeachable, um, which is a legitimate opinion to have. But what did you make of that, that move by Tucker? Uh, I, was, I was surprised by it, but also take what you can get. You know, one, right. of, one of the things that um, I've started to hear from Democrats is that when a Republican speaks out against Trump but doesn't speak out enough, some of them criticize him, but some Democrats yeah. are like, well, wait a second. You know, if we want to get to that place, don't criticize somebody for making one step at a time because they didn't make 10 steps. Yep. So I was surprised by this. I think Tucker's right. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, that this is not what a president should be talking about. Yeah. Is it impeachable or not? Well, we've got a lot more to investigate. Zach, Trump regularly lashes out at people like Shep Smith and, and other Fox uh, personalities who aren't as supportive as others are. But recently, he's been going after Fox itself. What do you make of that? Look, I think that Fox News and Donald Trump need each other. Fox News has been has spent years building up a rabid pro-Trump audience that is going to back the president no matter what. Donald Trump understands this, mm. and he needs it as well. And so he is going to mm. try to keep the, the, the uh, network on, uh, on the right track, and Fox News is going to do what it needs to do to keep the business and the viewership that it has uh, created over, over the past couple of years. But Doug, Trump is saying Fox could move all the way left and he'd win without them. Is that true? Do Fox voters listen more to Trump or whatever Sean Hannity says? Well, I, I think that still is something that we have to learn. But, but what we know is that the Fox viewer is the most devoted and loyal um, viewer that is there on yeah, cable news, yeah. short of maybe WWE, whose fans will follow them anywhere. Mm -hmm. and I'll, give you, I'll give you one example. Um, the day before I signed um, with CNN, uh, I was on Fox News, and I got an email from, or a note on Facebook, from the mother of one of my best friends from high school and college, in fact, a college roommate. And she said, I saw you on Fox, and you were great, and I was so proud of you. And I, I sent her a note back and said, thank you so much. I'm about to sign with CNN, so you'll have to uh, watch me there. And she said, oh, I'm sorry, I won't see you anymore yeah, on TV. Right. She could take the time to send me the note. She won't change the channel. Um, yeah, her, my dad, too. Um, Zach, <laughs> Joe Biden. This is so interesting. Joe Biden recently asked the cable networks to stop uh, booking Rudy Giuliani. Kamala Harris wrote to Jack Dorsey to kick Trump off Twitter. Do you think Democrats risk looking scared with stunts, I'll call them stunts, but with, with, with actions like these, I mean, at, at, at best, at worst, do they look a little undemocratic? I, I think what Democrats risk by calling for this are losing our best advocates for impeachment, going out there uh -huh. and, yeah. and articulating yeah. the reasons why they should impeach. Donald I mean, Trump himself. Donald Trump himself going out there. He's the one who said, uh, articulated the, the reasons why he needs to be impeached. And Rudy Giuliani, every time he goes out there, creates more problems for himself yeah. and gets the president in more trouble. So I say, let's book him on all the networks <laughs> all the time. I'm sure. Doug, um, Paul Ryan, we know that guy. Mm -hmm. He's on the board at Fox. Does that in some ways put him in a more powerful position to handle Trump than he ever you know, had when he was speaker? Potentially, but right now he's enjoying time off and not having to worry about politics and talk about politics mm. and talk about Trump all day long. Yeah. And I think he's he's enjoying that. I don't expect him to make any change anytime soon. Yeah. It's why maybe Mitt Romney is in what was the old Paul Ryan role of speaking out when necessary for Republicans against Trump. Oh, is that what he's doing? Okay. Doug, Zach, thanks for <laughs> joining me. Uh, it seems like a million years ago, but no, it was this week that the Speaker of the House accused the Attorney General of going rogue. He appears knee-deep in this. The role of Bill Barr is next. All the president's men 
it's a great movie, one of my favorites, and maybe relevant now more than ever. Trump has surrounded himself with supporters, fixers, and yes-men. And for those who have obliged, they now risk getting ensnared in his impeachment mess. One of those men, Attorney General Bill Barr, the DOJ declined to pursue the whistleblower's allegations, allegations that Barr, the head of that agency, was directly implicated in when the president of the United States told the president of Ukraine that Barr would assist him in investigating the Bidens. Executive editor of the New Yorker website and CNN Global Affairs analyst David Rode wrote about Barr recently in a piece called The Dangerous Position of William Barr. He joins me now. So, David, what is this dangerous position? What dangers lie ahead for Bill Barr? So the president has essentially implicated uh, Barr in, in pressuring Ukraine to help him attack Biden. Yeah. That is an impeachable offense. Uh, we haven't had an attorney general sort of accused of, of misusing his position to that extent since John Mitchell. Right. There were Republicans who attacked Eric Holder. Uh, and we can yeah. talk about that separately. Yeah. But this is a whole sort of range of things where Trump is sort of I'm sorry, where, excuse me, where Barr has blocked the release of Trump's tax returns. The Justice Department provided a legal opinion mm -hmm. on that. Mm -hmm. The administration's blocking of subpoenas from, you know, six committees. Yeah. The Justice Department says that's legal. Publicly, he said the FBI, you know, might have spied on the Trump campaign. So it's the many different ways Donald Barr is sort of serving up legal opinions that help Donald Trump yeah. that alarm a lot of people in the legal community. So you mentioned John Mitchell. He went to prison. For, for, for Watergate, and yeah, that has not for, happened yet. And it right. was, it's more that... Are they similar, John Mitchell and, and Bill Barr? Well, so after Watergate, and there was a big effort to try to make the Justice Department seem, you know, apolitical or less political. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be perfect, but that they will judge people equally under the law yeah. and that the attorney general will recuse themselves from critical cases. So Janet Reno recused herself from Whitewater. She did not, right. you know, and the president ended up impeached. Uh, during George W. Bush's administration, Alberto Gonzalez and John Ashcroft recused themselves for the Valerie Plame right. case about, you know, her being leaked. So there's an expectation that Barr should recuse himself to this, hmm. that the law is, you know, no one's above the law and the law will be applied equally. Yeah. And he's, you know, and the most famous thing with Barr is that he, you know, his summary of the Mueller report, that it cleared the president yeah. when it clearly did not. Yeah, oh, I remember. Um, but let me just ask, uh, you know, let, let's, let's, let's frame this a different way. The attorney general is appointed by the president. Yeah. Um, it's part of the executive. Is it naive of us maybe to think that the AG will truly be independent and impartial when he's a political appointee? So the, the kind of post-Watergate norm is that if the president's like, I want to crack down on, you know, drugs, yeah. the attorney general enforces that, you know, policy. But or I want to track, crack down on pharmaceutical companies. What the attorney general should not do is go at that specific pharmaceutical company CEO who didn't give their president you know, the campaign contribution right. that they wanted. Right. There should not be, like, individual tailoring of prosecutions to benefit the president presidentially, sorry, uh, to politically. Yeah. So it's, and I know that's sort of complicated, but that has become the norm for the last 40 mm. years, so the American people trust our yeah. police and our judges and our whole system. You mentioned Eric Holder. Yes. I, you know, Obama's attorney general was criticized for, by Republicans, yes, yes, but I mean, you know, for evading, going around Congress, he was held in contempt, in fact, for refusing to turn over documents about Fast and Furious. His DOJ, as you know, prosecuted leakers and whistleblowers and came after journalists. Um, do you think Bill Barr is worse and why? I think so far, yes, I think Bill Barr is worth. I, I want to, like, condemn Holder, though, for, 
you know, being held in contempt of Congress and resisting congressional oversight. The, the most dangerous dynamic here is a weaker and weaker Congress. You know, uh -huh. you've since signed a 9-11, you've had kind of Congress being less involved in oversight. Yeah. And it's a co-equal branch of government. And it's good we have these checks and balances. And it's good the Republicans were, were pushing Holder and Obama. Yeah. But I do think Barr is more dangerous because he is protecting the president himself from potentially criminal conduct. Yeah. Holder was held in contempt, you know, regarding a, a very bad operation by the ATF that led to the death of an ATF officer. Yeah. Those are two different things. Yeah. But this is, these are critical things about our democracy. Hmm. Equal powers of government, equal branches. The president has to sort of obey uh, an impeachment request for certain yeah. documents. I mean, we're looking at a constitutional crisis. This hasn't happened in, in decades. Well, it's a great piece. You should check it out on thenewyorker.com. And I know you're working up a book on this, so that'll be <laughs> great you. to read. David Rowe, thank you so much. We'll be right back. The United States is a beacon of democracy, a nation built on free speech, free and fair elections, a free press and freedom of assembly. But the president of the United States is willing to trade all of that in if it means he can accrue more power. And he's using a corrupt, abusive and dictatorial government to do it. As we now know, President Trump told China's President Xi on a June 18th call that he would remain silent about the pro-democracy protests by Hong Kong citizens who are currently hanging on to every thread of democracy they have in order to advance his trade talks with communist China. And now in a week where violence in Hong Kong has significantly escalated, Trump has asked a communist government, which is tear gassing its own citizens, where a teenage protester was shot by police, where police are accused of acting like hounds after rabbits, to help him investigate an American citizen, his political rival, Joe Biden. What Trump told the Chinese and what he later asked the Chinese is an affront to democracy and American values, and at a time when Chinese citizens need more of both. Okay, important programming note. In just 10 days, the next Democratic presidential debate is coming to CNN. The CNN and New York Times Democratic presidential debate, Tuesday, October 15th at 8 Eastern. Van Jones is up next.